you're listening to a podcast from the University of Manchester. Welcome back to The Birds. In this mini episode, we're going to be looking at the work that Manchester are doing at CERN. My colleague Dave is going to be hosting this episode, and you may remember Dave from some of the earlier episodes of The Birds. Um, but to reintroduce him to our audience, I'm going to ask you some questions, Dave, about Manchester. Is that okay? That's great. Lovely little Troy McClure vibe to that intro there. You may remember Dave from... Oh, yeah. Uh, and Dave, um, you can probably tell, is actually from Manchester himself, so these questions should hopefully... Uh, have very uh, controversial. Businesses. I'm from Stockport, but oh. you know. Well, there we go. Let's 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 let that one go. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Today, I've got five questions for you. Um, the first question is: What is your favourite thing to do in Manchester or, or Stockport? I guess. Well, I'll keep it as Manchester. Um, I'm a big football fan, uh, so my actual favourite thing is uh, Stockport County. But uh, my son-in-law and his kids, so my grandkids, are massive Manchester City fans. So occasionally, uh, when th- my son-in-law can't make it. I've been tasked with taking uh, my grandkids to the Etihad Stadium to watch City, which is not much of a chore, as uh, football fans will know. Well, maybe all football fans, <laughs> apart from those of a certain few other clubs. But yeah, it's great to take the grandkids to City and uh, to watch the performances that they put in. So I'd say it would be that. Great. And uh, who is your favourite Manchester-related person? Okay, that would probably be uh, a musician, given the uh, the city's amazing. Uh, Musical heritage, um, possibly uh, Johnny Marr of the Smiths, who um, is obviously uh, an amazingly talented guy, but has had a, a very, very long career, which he started, um, I think, at a very early age when the Smiths' first single came out. I think he was probably only about 20 or so. Um, so, yeah, if not one of the other indie musicians, it'd probably be, uh, be Johnny Marr. Nice one. Uh, he is someone I've heard of, which is good. Long time listeners will know my music taste is. Non-existent, but I have heard of the Smiths, so that's good. And what is your favourite Manchester building? Okay, favourite building. I quite like... I'm not a fan of um, 60s architecture, and I know there is a school of thought that really uh, does appreciate the sort of brutalist, modernist stuff that was put up in the 60s. Um, I would probably go before that um, if I was going to pick one, but looking at the skyline at the moment and the way it's developing, um, I really do like the skyscrapers that are going up. Okay. Um, so I'd probably say one of the one of the Deansgate Four, and obviously if you're going to choose one, it's probably going to be the tallest. So uh, Deansgate Tower, I guess, at the moment. Oh, very nice. Uh, I think that is uh, a good answer. I think it'd be quite controversial. Some people don't like the Manchester's going tall, but I'm all for it as well, so that's cool. Yeah, cool. And what is your favourite place to eat in Manchester? Yeah, it's a bit of a, a sad answer, given that uh, I don't eat out that often. And when I do, it tends to be as part of a special occasion, uh, either back in Stockport or if I'm away with my wife in London. So uh, given that I work in the, the new MECD building, I would say my favourite slash only place to eat is the uh, Tesco, which is near the old BBC site, which is now uh, Circle Square, where I sometimes go to get a sandwich for my lunch. Pathetic, oh. I know, but that's my answer. So the Tesco Express, and do you get the the meal deal, or do you just get the sandwich? I, I, I instinctively uh, resist meal deals because whilst they seem bargains, they're clearly encouraging you to buy more than you would have done otherwise. Yeah, so okay. I just go and get a sandwich. Okay. Not that I'm tight. I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm just anti that kind of uh, that kind of reverse marketing. <laughs> sure. And um, finally, what if you could describe Manchester in three words? What would those three words be? Dave is uh, currently counting his answers on his hands. <laughs> it's a good job you didn't cover more than three because I might struggle. 
Okay, I would say innovative, friendly, northern. Good, good answers, yeah. Uh, and as a kind of Manx person yourself, um, that's, that's good answers to be, to be proud of, I guess, of it, as a city. Absolutely. I think uh, if you'd asked me when I was a little teenager and uh, the sort of anti-Manc um, attitude was a bit more prevalent for somebody who uh, was mainly based on football, um, I probably would have given different answers, but I've matured now and I've, I've, I've grown up and I can recognise Manchester for what it is, which is an absolutely amazing place. That's great. Good to hear. Thanks, Dave, for taking part in the Manchester questions. And now we're going to listen to Dave's interview with some of the people at CERN. You may have heard of CERN, the, wait for it, Conseil Européen pour la Recherche Nucléaire. And with sincere apologies for that to any French listeners, in English that's the European Organisation for Nuclear Research. Although we have to say Yona doesn't roll off the tongue quite so well. If you haven't heard of CERN, the chances are you have heard of the Large Hadron Collider, or LHC, which is based there. The LHC lies within a 27km circumference tunnel which straddles the French-Swiss border. It's the world's largest and highest energy particle collider, and it's probably most famous as being the equipment which proved the existence of the Higgs boson, announced in March 2013 following data collection experiments during the previous three years. We recently carried out a series of interviews with three of our academics who work on various experiments on the LHC, as well as a recent physics graduate from the university who has worked at CERN as part of his PhD. They gave us a fascinating insight into what their work on the LHC involves. Chris Parks is an experimental particle physicist working in the Department of Physics here at the University. Speaking in July, he told us about the work he does at CERN. I'm a professor at the University of Manchester, um, uh, but um, for this period, um, I'm also the elected leader uh, in the particle physics jargon, that's called the spokesperson, uh, of uh, the Large Hadron Collider Beauty Experiment. Uh, so LHCB, the Large Hadron Collider Beauty experiment, is one of the four large experiments at the Large Hadron Collider. Um, the Large Hadron Collider is the big accelerator at CERN, um, and it is a 27-kilometer circumference ring, um, and it collides protons, um, which go around the ring at close to the speed of light, and then they collide in four places around this 27-kilometer ring. And those four places are where the big four experiments of the LHC are. We've been running for um, basically 10 years now. Um, we started running the uh, first runs of the LHC in 2010. Um, and we ran through till the end of 2018. Um, we've now put in a new version of the detector. And we're now starting running again. And uh, we'll run this version for about another 10 years. Um, and then I have ideas for a third version of the experiment, which will run throughout the 2030s. So it's a very long timescale project that covers really a wide range of different areas. So as I said, so far, we've been running for about 10 years um, and we've put out uh, over 600 um, scientific papers. Um, uh, and um, a very large fraction of those contain discoveries of some type, um, not necessarily discoveries which break the current model of physics, but discoveries in the sense of finding out things that we did not know before um, that are expanding uh, our knowledge from doing these experiments. As Chris said, there are four major experiments which take place at points around the LHC, namely LHCB, which Chris talked about, ATLAS, 
CMS, which stands for Compact Muon Solenoid, and ALICE. Will Birch, a lecturer with the Accelerator Physics Group at the university, works on the Alpha experiment. I'm currently the deputy spokesperson uh, for Alpha, and my focus is on our current experiment um, called Alpha-G. Uh, so we have a couple of main apparatus at the Alpha collaboration. One apparatus is, is one that focuses on spectroscopy, and that's the one that we've uh, published most of our recent results uh, in. And in parallel, we've been developing a gravity experiment uh, that we've just kind of been able to start running in earnest this year. And so, I mean, what that entails, um, of course, I'm an academic at the University of Manchester, so I have uh, some of my students and postdocs um, here at CERN, but I also kind of uh, supervise the work that's taking place on Alpha-G and kind of plan um, both the technical and, and scientific program that, that we're carrying out uh, on that apparatus at the moment. Alpha as an experiment, um, we're making anti-hydrogen by combining um, antimatter electrons called positrons um, with antimatter protons called antiprotons. Positrons are relatively easy to come by as antimatter particles are concerned. Um, they, they, you can get them from the radioactive decay of, of uh, species you can just find naturally occurring on Earth. In fact, bananas turn out to be a reasonably good source of positrons because they're a good source of potassium and some small fraction of naturally occurring potassium is a radioactive isotope that produces positrons when it decays. So a banana produces about 15 positrons a second. Um, okay, that's that's not very practical for our experiments. Um, we, we, use, uh, we use salts that have been activated in, in a reactor uh, to get a good flux for ourselves, but that's relatively straightforward. The connection to CERN is that antiprotons are more difficult. Um, if you want antiprotons on Earth, you need to produce them with a relatively high energy interaction. And in order to create that kind of reaction, you need accelerators. Uh, and so um, CERN's not the only institute in the world that can and has produced antiprotons, um, but they are the unique facility in the world right now that produces antiprotons that are low enough energy for experiments like Alpha to trap those antiprotons and then use them um, for other sorts of experiments. So in the sort of CERN accelerator complex, everybody sort of thinks about the LHC because that's that's the kind of big headline winner these days. But the LHC is like the fifth accelerator in a chain of accelerators that produce successively higher energy particles for use in experiments. Um, so the, the LHC at the moment, it sort of collides protons uh, and also high energy ions. Um, we use the protons that come from the third accelerator in, uh, in CERN's accelerator chain. Uh, so, so somewhere halfway on the way up to the energies used at the LHC, they can produce protons that can reasonably efficiently produce antiprotons. And then those antiprotons, in fact, go to a very special machine at CERN called the antiproton decelerator, which in fact slows the antiprotons down from relatively high energies to relatively low energies. And it actually turns out that, that decelerators are in fact much more complicated devices to operate than accelerators in many ways. Um, it, the, the, the problem of deceleration uh, just turns out to be more difficult than acceleration because in addition to just slowing things down, you have to actually cool the particle population. But okay, that's, that's kind of a, a side technical question. 
Um, but that's why the experiment takes place at CERN, because it, it's really a unique uh, in the world that, that goes down to low enough energies that, that we can use them in our experiments. Um, and in fact, CERN, uh, you know, the, all, all of the experiments that are kind of working in this low energy antimatter um, field or low energy antiproton specifically, they're all in the same building. So all of our nearest competitors, we're all next to each other uh, in, in one room, basically, uh, surrounded by this decelerator. Marco Gerzebeck also works on the LHCB experiments at CERN. As well as being involved in the experiment itself, however, Marco has also had a role recently in the manufacture of the equipment which is used to perform these experiments, equipment which was built right here on the university campus. We've just upgraded the, the LHCB experiment, which uh, is, is, is uh, in its new form now starting to, to take data. So uh, over the last few years, uh, uh, our team here has, has uh, constructed uh, very much the heart of the, uh, of the experiment modules for what we call the vertex locator. That's the uh, detector component that sees uh, the, the first signals of, of the particles after collision. When we spoke to him in summer, Marco showed us a non-working prototype of the equipment. So what we're looking at is one of the vertex locator modules. What we did here in Manchester is we received the sensors and they were um, what we call bump bonded to uh, readout chips. And then we had a one millimeter thick silicon plate that holds everything. And we, we glued uh, literally these, these sensors and, and also these, these, the, the readout circuitry, we glued that to, to the silicon uh, uh, bit from, from both uh, sides, so, so the two sides look, look more or less the same. And then we had to uh, connect them up uh, electrically, so these sensors here, the, the, or rather the readout chips, they're connected to the readout circuitry by, by tiny wires. If you look very, very closely along here, there are tiny silver wires uh, going going this this way uh, there are actually two rows of them one on top of the other um, that were that were put in place uh, here um, that that was one of the most complicated tasks uh, we, we did here uh, and even the, the the gluing I mean it's, it sounds simple but but it needs to be done with with micron level uh, precision. <laughs> And then, squeezing a drop of super glue on it then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this, this is obviously a, a prototype module. There's a little bit of glue sticking out there uh, because we had deposited a little bit uh, too, too much that right. there was a relatively early prototype. I mean, the components are all, are all there, but uh, still it's not, it's not the perfect thing that, that, that we then uh, used in the detector. And then it was a matter of uh, uh, yeah, cab cabling it up. Um, uh, all, all these connectors are are quite fragile because one of the critical things when building a detector like that is, is to make it as lightweight as possible because you want to have as, as little material as possible in the way of the particles that you want mm -hmm. to detect because any material will interact somehow with yeah. the particles, will divert their path and it's, it's, it's this path that we want to measure with very very high precision yeah. so that is why um, we did everything possible to First of all, remove the material as far as possible from, from the sensitive area and in, in general uh, um, make it as lightweight as possible. And, and the final detector will consist of 26 of these modules sitting next to each other right. and then another copy of that that'll sit 
um, on, a, on, a, on another half and then these two halves come together so this module right. and a partner will come from the other side and then uh, this sensitive area here will, will form more or less a square yeah. with a tiny cutout of a square centimetre yeah. and this corner here is where the LFC beam will shoot through wow. going 27 kilometres around. This does not get placed into the vacuum of the class so the the the, the uh, tube where the where the protons fly through mm. is, is is in a very very high vacuum yeah this one is shielded from that with a very very thin foil uh, 150 uh, micron thin so a couple of layers of your kitchen aluminium foil mm. and it, it is it is an aluminium foil basically okay. so this is also in in a, what we call a secondary vacuum otherwise the foil would just explode. Yeah. Um, so uh, the, the, there's a small separation there which we also need because there's a, a, an electrical field that, that comes with the, with the protons as they, as they travel through yeah. uh, and, and that would disturb the, the, the electronics here. So there is this foil and then, then we have the, the sensitive elements here. So, so the, 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 this edge uh, in, in obviously the, the modules that are installed would be just five millimeters away from the uh, from from the, where the beam flies past, wow. and then in front of one of these modules is where where the protons would uh, actually uh, uh, from coming from both sides would be made to cross okay, each yeah. other and, and 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 collide. Yeah. So so that that's happening right in front of these guys. Yeah. And then uh, the the collision products they fly outwards, yeah. and once they've these. reached these 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 silver rectangles. Right. They get detected, and that's that's, that's our first signal that something happened. And uh, just over a week ago, uh, one of my students saw the first tracks from particles traversing the new module. So wow, they work. That's amazing. It's great to put some sort of hardware to the to the theory. You know, you, you hear about obviously particles whiz around and they collide, and but this is actually the the stuff that measures. That's it. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's 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 the fascination of, of, of being in particle physics. Really, is that 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 you have all these things that somehow need to come together, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. uh, you can't yeah. can't just do the uh, the analysis of of, of the data. There, they also need to be produced somehow. The production of the vertex locator module was a major part of the fifteen million pounds construction project in the UK, which was supported by the Science and Technology Facilities Council, and which was led by Chris Parks. The university produced around 80% of the vertex locator modules in the clean rooms of the Particle Physics Group in the Department of Physics and Astronomy here at the university. We also talked to someone at the start of their academic journey. Jonathan Langford graduated from the university in 2017. He told us about how he got interested in particle physics. It was actually at the end of second year. Um, I uh, secured a placement, um, so it was via the, this DAAD programme, which is... Um, uh, you know, a, a placement program in in Germany, and and they send you to all different institutes around Germany, not just physics. Um, and I applied for three different things on the DAD program. Um, one was particle physics, I think. One was uh, one was laser physics, and I can't remember what the third was. Um, and you had to rank them, and it was somewhat of a random choice. But um, I chose particle physics uh, as the as the first cho choice. Another reason was the fact that it was in Munich, so at the Max Planck Institute in Munich, so uh, a place that I've wanted to go and is um, a good institute for physics as well. So 
that was the reason I picked it first. And then obviously that led to me then enjoying particle physics, taking the kind of modules that um, uh, are suitable for particle physics in third and fourth year and, and led me on this path. And I'm aware that you've uh, you've recently completed a PhD. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So and is, um, is that in the same area of particle physics? Because it came after your work at CERN, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, so um, it basically it was on a, it was uh, based on an experiment at CERN. So the whole time um, I was working for an experiment at CERN, I spent six months out at CERN uh, as like a, a long term attachment. It's called, um, but the whole time was on the same experiment. Um, analyzing the data that comes out, out of that experiment. So yeah, it, it's connected to CERN. Are you able to sort of describe what, what work at CERN involved in sort of lay person's terms, if that's, if that's even possible? Yeah, um, so, so directly what my PhD was, um, uh, the, the title was basically measuring the properties of the Higgs boson. So this is a particle that we discovered uh, 10, 10 years ago, almost almost to the day, actually, we had these celebrations about a week ago um, to, uh, to celebrate that uh, it's 10 years since discovery. And then in those 10 years, we've been able to take more and more data and, and learn more and more about this particle. So it's, uh, it's, it's particularly interesting because it's um, the particle in, in our model of, of, of particle physics that's responsible for giving other particles their mass. So before 2012, we had no experimental confirmation that the Higgs boson existed. Um, we knew things have mass, but we didn't know why or how. Um, but in, in, in 2012, we managed to confirm experimentally both the ATLAS and, and CMS, the experiment I'm working on, that this thing does exist. And then since then, yeah, we've, we're taking more data. We're learning about how it interacts with, with all different kinds of particles. And, and I'm particularly looking in, in one decay channel that's uh, the Higgs boson decaying to two photons. So that's the particle uh, responsible for, for light, uh, the propagation of light. Um, so the Higgs boson can decay into two photons and it's this nice channel that we can use to, to measure the properties of the Higgs boson. Things like it, its mass, it, its, its own mass, and, and yeah, how it interacts and couples to, to all, the different, um, all of the different other particles. We asked our academics whether the work they were doing could benefit society in a wider context or whether it was more about expanding our knowledge of how the universe works. Knowledge for its own sake, if you like. The central question that we're trying to answer with this category of experiments um, is, is trying to address this issue where the universe, as we observe it today, seems to be almost entirely made of matter, which is, is great for all of us because uh, we're all made of matter. And if there were a lot of antimatter around, um, the universe wouldn't really look the way it does today, and it would be very uncomfortable for people like us to live in it. Uh, so for us, it's it's fine that there's not a lot of antimatter, but the theories that we have all sort of suggest that there should be far more antimatter than there actually is. And the kind of work that we're doing with anti-hydrogen is, is trying to uh, address this and trying to find the flaws in, in our, our fundamental theories of the universe. So that doesn't have any immediate uh, benefit in the sense that you know, it, it's just obvious once you know what's wrong um, that you're going to be able to to make a new widget or come up with some new technology. You know, having said that, of course, you know, pushing fundamental knowledge of physics has clearly had great benefit to society in general, right? So, so generally, trying to improve our understanding of the universe 
hopefully can lead to you know new ideas about about things that you can do in the world. Um, in addition to that, what we're doing on Alpha is fundamentally an experimental activity. Um, we are actively engaged in sort of pushing the, the leading edge of certain kinds of technologies like superconducting magnets and uh, detector electronics and these sorts of things. Um, and you know those sorts of efforts can can potentially lead to new technologies uh, in those areas. And of course, um, we have you know an active experiment. We have many uh, PhD students and postdocs uh, who come through, and they do, of course, interesting scientific projects. But they're also getting trained on on many many different technologies, and then they continue on and 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 do different careers and, and benefit society in different ways um, that are hard to predict. So those are the sorts of impacts that uh, that we expect that our our work kind of has, uh, generally speaking. The the immediate research output, the, 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 the uh, uh, analyses we, we, we do with the data we, we, we collect, that, has, uh, that, that, that is very much a fundamental uh, uh, physics research. So, so that has no direct uh, implications other than the knowledge gained uh, uh, from that. However, I mentioned a couple of times already uh, all, all the uh, technological advances that are required uh, to uh, deliver this. And... Um, there, we, we do uh, have uh, um, a fair bit of technology uh, and, and knowledge transfer. Um, one example is, for example, we, we uh, uh, our colleagues built the, the Proton Therapy Center at the Christie's uh, in, 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 the, in the last few years, and the, the beam line uh, there um, uh, for, for this therapy center was, was designed by, by one of our uh, accelerator physicists who uh, um, uh, in, in, in other areas uh, uh, would have been involved in, 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 in uh, particle accelerator uh, uh, research. And also, uh, likewise, uh, we're, we're working with colleagues there on um, detector uh, development. So the detectors that we develop uh, have uses uh, in, in, in medical imaging or, or related areas. Um, another area is uh, the, the area of data science. Um, the, the amount of data that, that, that uh, goes uh, through the, uh, is produced by the detector is, is, is absolutely staggering. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's terabytes per second, um, and that needs to be processed. And, 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 and all uh, uh, that, that, that processing, uh, the, the, the knowledge required for that, is something that is extremely transferable uh, to, to, to many areas of, of, of big data processing. And that is an area where uh, we, we, we simply, uh, I mean, the, the, the most direct impact to, to society is, is, is the vast number of uh, students uh, uh, and, 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 and researchers who we train in this and, and who uh, uh, some of them uh, go to uh, um, all sorts of uh, uh, private or public sector uh, uh, jobs afterwards outside uh, academia. Uh, and and uh, apply uh, their their knowledge uh, there. So so the, this this I think is is is, is uh, uh, one one of the most direct uh, uh, influences uh, that, uh, that 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 we have, and is is, is um, pretty unique uh, really uh, with uh, the, uh, uh, the 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 challenges we're we're facing in particle physics. Those of you who take an interest in how science is reported in the mainstream media will be aware that a lot of the talk around the work that was being done on the LHC, certainly in the lead up to the discovery of the Higgs boson, 
was quite a tabloidy, these scientists are going to create a black hole and kill us all. We asked them whether they found this irritating. It's tricky, right? Like, <laughs> that this is, this is what, what gets headlined in, in the tabloids. Yeah. And I think, you know, when people have legitimate questions about uh, the kinds of issues raised like this, for example, the, the black holes question, um, you know, I think the community takes that sort of thing pretty seriously. And, you know, in, in the black hole case specifically, I, I think there was a really compelling scientific response to, you know, whether we should be concerned with, with uh, micro black holes or something like that being produced at the LHC. And I, I think that's an appropriate scientific response. So when, when you know, the public raises those sorts of issues, they can be addressed. I, I think there there are more challenging kinds of things that 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 we do receive that that don't really have easy rational answers, shall we say? Right. Um, there are definitely people who, you know, sometimes they don't understand uh, what what CERN is and the the way we work as scientists, and they're concerned that we're somehow developing secret technologies, which which we definitely aren't. I mean, Alpha as an experiment is entirely funded by public money. All of our results are um, are fully accessible by the public, um, so that's that's kind of how we operate. We don't have some hidden agenda that that we're working towards. Um, so you know th those sorts of things can be. Um, I don't know if they're challenging exactly. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's definitely a thing, and the only thing you can do is try is try and uh, educate the public about it. To be honest, I, I, I do uh, tend to ignore by now the, the, the black hole question because it, it, it's, it's uh, been raised so many times when the Large Hadron Collider first started up and, and, and we're not doing anything fundamentally different now. Uh, and um, uh, obviously we're, we're still here, first and foremost, but, but even then uh, uh, it, it was shown that there was a minute possibility that, that we could uh, produce what's called a microscopic black hole. But these things uh, would evaporate uh, straight away, so they're not stable uh, uh, states. And it would be fantastic if we uh, were to produce those and, and, and see the, 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 the sort of uh, aftermath, the decay of such a, such a black hole. That would be a fantastic discovery. Uh, we haven't made it yet, but uh, certainly uh, the Large Hadron Collider can't produce uh, uh, a stable black hole that would then uh, eat up the rest of the world. Uh, so that, that, that simply is uh, yeah. the It's a very powerful machine, but not that powerful. <laughs> I find it funny. <laughs> I find it funny, but it, in the, ultimately, it's probably quite damaging for the field. Um, I think, you know, you want to have the public on your side, not only just because you want interest in the science that you do to potentially inspire scientists coming through, uh, but also funding bodies. You need you need a lot of um, good public opinion on on your science. So so yeah, it, perhaps if I was higher up in the food chain, um, then I might find it more frustrating than what I do. First thing I'd say is I'm quite pleased with the fact that uh, the kinds of fundamental physics that we're doing now is much better known in the general public now than it used to be. There's been um, a lot more media coverage um, over the last 10 years with the LHC, um, with some of the breakthroughs that we've made. Um, uh, and I think people are much more educated about what we do. I mean, you're right that the, the actual, we're going to destroy everybody in a black hole, <laughs> it's, it's clearly something which, you know, you need to reassure people, you need to explain 
um, the science behind what we're doing. And um, and by doing these experiments, you're, you're trying to find out about this fundamental um, physics. Um, uh, but what we're doing is, 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 not, is not dangerous. I do have a funny story about this where um, we were uh, upgrading part of our spectroscopy experiment were in the process of improving our clocks. Uh, one of the limitations of, of our experimental results at the moment is how well we can tell time at our experiment, because we're basically comparing time according to antihydrogen with time according to the rest of the matter universe. And so we're improving our clocks. And uh, these clocks are, are pretty complicated devices. They involve all sorts of technologies and microwaves and lasers and electronics. And so we're, we're trying to integrate this in an experiment and you just have to buy parts from companies, right? To, to do things, you, you buy components, you plug them in, you know, you get it, you get things operating to do what you want to do. And, uh, and we had a contact with, it was just like a company that, that produces, you know, has a good reputation of producing certain kinds of um, equipment that are useful on this, on this chain. And so we got in touch and we wanted to get a quote to buy this equipment from them. And the salesperson just flat out refused to give us a quote because they thought that the work that CERN was doing was evil. I, I mean, we went back and forth and we, you know, we even wrote the company and, and asked them if this was, you know, some kind of a joke. And they were like, no, this really isn't a joke. And, and the European distributor affirmed to us that the people like at the head of the company really believed this. This wasn't just some kind of one-off view by some random salesperson. So we're not even in the category of experiments that get accused of doing things like making black holes. That was, that was kind of a one-off. If you'd like to find out more about the LHC, CERN, and the experiments that our scientists are carrying out there, then why not read our articles on The Hub, our science and engineering blog. We've got fuller features about the work Marco, Chris, Will, and Jono do at CERN, along with links to the audio of the entire interviews. You can find the blog at manchester.ac.uk forward slash the hub. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at UOM Sieng and Facebook. Bye for now.